the game. You don't play to just play. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm for you! Can't wait! Good morning and welcome. It is Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. I am Chris, and of course, that is Mo. Mo, how are you this morning, sir? Doing well, doing well on a Thursday. Mo, let's jump right into it this morning. We got a big show today. JG is going to be on the show today. We are going to have Freddie on the show a little bit later on. But before we get into any of that, the NFL released the Pro Bowl rosters yesterday. And if you are a fan of the NFC, I hope you are a fan of the San Francisco 49ers because basically that's what the Pro Bowl roster is going to look like if you are playing against the NFC, assuming the Niners don't make the Super Bowl. Obviously, if they do, none of them will be partaking in the Super Bowl. Which uh, is what I prefer. Correct, correct. That is what Mo is looking for. He is looking for none of his players to really be uh, Pro Bowl eligible because they'll all be a little, hopefully, preoccupied uh, come that time. Mo, what were your initial thoughts when the uh, the Pro Bowl rosters came out yesterday? Any major snubs that you noticed? Uh, not to me. I, I I actually thought that the selections were pretty balanced. Um, I know your Dolphins. I think you guys had like six selections, maybe six yeah, or seven we, selections. So we I mean, like, good. And, and that didn't surprise me because of how explosive they were offensively, and of course, you've got an elite player like Jalen Ram- Ramsey defensively. So I, I expected them to do well. A few a few teams obviously did bet, better than others. Not surprising. Um, I, I'll be honest, more Niners made it than I expected, but but good for them. Uh, one of the biggest complaints this morning is that Josh Allen did not make the Pro Bowl roster for the AFC. Tua, Lamar, and Patrick Mahomes got the nod over Allen. Any issue with that, Mo? So here's the thing. with The, the season that Tua had, objectively, even though you're a Dolphins fan, um, I think Tua is going to be in the Pro Bowl. I think he's deserving of being a Pro Bowl. Lamar's going to win his second MVP. He's going to be in the Pro Bowl. Josh Allen's problem is, even though he's come on strong, he's played well down the stretch, and the Chiefs have struggled. We look at two things. We say the Chiefs' struggles have nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes. Matter of fact, we say that even though they struggled, and the fact that they're in the playoffs are going to be in the playoffs, it's because of Patrick Mahomes. In the bigger picture, it came down to Patrick Mahomes' resume, word, and the name versus what Josh Allen had done down the stretch. Josh Allen wasn't going to move Patrick Mahomes out of the Pro Bowl. So I I get you can make a case that he was deserving, but who were you? I guess my question is, if he's deserving, who's not going to be there? Because I don't think he can move out any of the three. And I think the issue with Josh Allen is that, remember, Pro Bowl voting has been open for for a minute now. So the majority of the Pro Bowl voting has taken place before Josh Allen and the Bills have really revitalized their playoff hopes, right? So a lot of the playoff of the Pro Bowl voting was taking place 
while the Dolphins were two and a half games ahead in the AFC East. A lot of it was taking place while although the Kansas City Chiefs were struggling, they were still winning football games. A lot of it was taking place while Lamar, well, Lamar did great things all season long. But for Josh Allen, a lot of it was taking place while the Buffalo Bills were a 500 football team. Remember, they were 5-5, five and five, and then they were 6-6. Six and six. Then they went on the run they went on. Correct. But when they were 5-5 five and five and they were 6-6 six and six and Tua and Mahomes and Lamar were getting all these votes, it's a lot to overcome. And at the end of the day, does the Pro Bowl matter? Do Pro Bowl nods matter? It, it is. You view it however you want to view it. Obviously, what matters is winning championships. Obviously, what matters is that sort of success. If you are Josh Allen or Tua or Lamar or Patrick Mahomes, they would all rather take one Super Bowl, I would imagine, and then never be named a Pro Bowl quarterback. I think they would all acknowledge that. Uh, easily, so, easily. Right. So it, it is what it is at the end of the day. But that, that, in my opinion, is why you would have someone like Josh Allen, who, who wasn't in it, for those who strongly believe that he should be. But what I liked about the Pro Bowl rosters is we have a nice mix. We have new faces. We have old faces. Uh, in the AFC, your running backs are Raheem Mostert, James Cook, Derrick Henry. James Cook is a new face in there. Mostert, I don't know if he's ever been a Pro Bowl running back before. Henry obviously has. Your wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, Amari Cooper, Keenan Allen, Jamar Chase. Uh, Kelsey's your tight end with Njoku. That's a new face in there that we like to see. If you go over to the NFC side of things, you got DeAndre Swift in there. Williams from the Rams is a new face that we have happening in there. Uh, Purdy, Prescott, Stafford. That's You got the old guard. You got the current guard. You got the new guard in there. I Uh, love that. Receivers, C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown, Mike Evans, Puka Nakua got in there on the receivers on the NFC side. That's pretty cool to see. Sam Laporta's in there with the tight ends. So I, I think it's a fun group that they put in there. But at the end of the day, Mo, two things. Like one we just talked about, do they really care? Eh, it's debatable. But Mo, number two, no one's really going to watch this anyways. So we don't, we, we don't, we don't watch the pro bowl. Um, no, nobody cares about the pro bowl. Um, but I do think the honor of it, right. Making the pro bowl does matter to a lot of players. Um, look at a guy like Raheem Moser. Um, this is big for him. Like he, he's had a really, I would say one of those kind of careers where when you look at it, go, this guy's been really good for a long time but he's never been a Pro Bowl running back. So I think that's great for him to to have that on his resume where he can look up and go, I, you know, I played at a level where I got voted in as a Pro Bowler, uh, and he earned it. So I, I think it's big for – I think it's big for the new guard, and I do think it's big, Chris, for some of the older players who are coming – maybe they're closer to the end um, than the beginning. We talked about this before. As great as he's been over the breadth of his career – Clearly, Travis Kelsey is nearing the end. So uh, another selection, another honor for him. That's great. I love that Stafford made it. You and I started the season off, and you did a story about how um, he didn't know his teammate's name, and he was walking around. (laughs) Remember that? He actually had to walk around. And I think that's hilarious. And look where they are now, and he's back in the Pro Bowl. So I think that's amazing. And like Linda just pointed out in the chat, really, and it's funny because – if you look at 
basketball and you look at football, nobody really cares about the NBA All-Star Game. No one really cares about the Pro Bowl. Uh, you can even argue that the players in the NBA don't really care about the NBA All-Star Game. No one's playing defense. No one's really stopping anybody out there. It's just a shooting in a dunk exposition. For sure. But they do care about when, when things are all wrapped up and you're like, oh, man, he was an eight-time Pro Bowl linebacker. Exactly, exactly. That matters. That matters. Or when they say, oh, he was a 12-time NBA All-Star, that's that important. Right. So the game Now you're talking itself, about Hall of Fame. Correct. The game itself doesn't matter. Um, you know, a snub here or there probably isn't the end of the world. But at the end, when you're looking at the overall career and you start comparing, well, he was in 11 Pro Bowls. He only was in eight. Who was really the better? That's where it comes in. So is Josh Allen upset this morning that he didn't make the Pro Bowl? Maybe, maybe not. I, I would err towards probably not. But fast forward eight, nine, ten years when Josh Allen's career is over and we're looking at the, the Hall of Fame conversation for him, you know, if he's only a six-time Pro Bowler and you're like, well, he should have really been a nine or a ten-time Pro Bowler. That's, right. that's where you're kind of like, well, damn, why'd they do him so dirty back right. when he was playing? What's going on there? And that becomes a discussion, right? They're going to go like, somebody will say like, Allen should have made like three more Pro Bowls. Everybody knows it. Look at his numbers. Um, exactly. That becomes a bigger part of the discussion. I don't think any of these players, for the most part, care about p- participating in the games. But the honor and that thing that goes beside your name, because now we're talking about you not just to get in the Hall of Fame, Chris, but we're also talking about you when we compare you to other players or your peers. They're going to say like, well, you know, he was only a four-time Pro Bowl running back. I mean, that's pretty good, but this guy was an eight-time Pro Bowler, so he's clearly better by default. All right, well, at this time, we want to bring JG on the show this morning. We always love having JG on here with us. So let's take a second here and get him on. Welcome to the show, the man, the myth, the legend, JG. How are you this morning, sir? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Good morning. JG, I could I couldn't find the button to change the graphics, so I had to say a bunch of nice things about you <laughs> while I was looking for the button. Sorry about that. Ah. Uh, I appreciate it. It's all right. JG, it's it's great to have you on here. Let's talk a little bit first about something that I, I don't think is gonna happen, but now you know, people are not people, Snell's agent is saying that the West Coast isn't a priority. All all teams are open for business. And I'm sitting here looking at the New York Yankees, and I'm like, hey, you know, we have the current reigning Cy Young winner in the American League, and, you know, Snell is the the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the National League. Why not just go Batman and Robin with it and throw some money at Snell? The Yankees still need pitching. It looks like Jordan Montgomery is going to end up back in Texas. And once those two sign, unless you're trading for somebody, the pitching market is drying up pretty quickly right now what are the odds that we see snell in new york and new york is going to throw out the two reigning cy young award winners at the start of next season not not really likely to, to kind of burst your bubble chris uh because like at the end of the day yeah you know we, we talked about yamamoto's contract and and how the yankees were reluctant to pay him more than they were going to pay garrett cole that that's still a reality, like, and you're talking about from a, a two-time Cy Young winner and Blake Snell. 
I'm sure, as I've said to you guys earlier this week, I'm sure Snell wants something very similar to what uh, Yamamoto got. So if you're the Yankees and you didn't want to pay Yamamoto equal or more than than Garrett Cole, what makes you think they're going to change their stance on Bla- on on Blake Snell? If, if Garrett Cole is their ace and they're going to treat him like their uh, ace and they're going to say, hey, we respect you to be our ace and we're going to make sure you are paid to be our ace and the number one pay uh, paid pitcher on our staff, I, I don't see them pivoting to go get Blake Snell at this point. If Snell really wants to deal, it's very similar uh, to what Yamamoto got. Because, again, at the end of the day, he has the awards. He has the stats in big league. So if, if Yamamoto got 325 mil, I'm sure Snell wants the same thing. And Garrett Cole, 324. So you, I, I don't I don't see the Yankees pivoting and changing their stance. Because it would be a lot of – if that's the case, a lot of questions that I'm sure you as a Yankee fan are going to ask you, you you made a big stink about not paying Yamamoto equal or more than Garrett Cole, and then you're going to change your stance to do it for Blake Snell? When you had a chance, you were in meetings, two meetings with Yamamoto, and you refused because he wanted the equal or more money than Garrett Cole. So I, I think there's a lot of I, I think there's a lot of a, a lot of talk that's probably not. It's just not going to be the case for the Yankees. I think a West Coast team, as much as uh, as much as they're trying to keep the market open, the you know uh, Snell's agents trying to keep the market up as much as I'm saying it's not. We're not a West. We're not primarily in a West Coast you know ideal situation. We're looking for all situations. I think the West Coast is going to be exactly where Snell ends up being. Though it's going to either be, I, and I kind of lean towards the the Giants being uh, the the main. Nobody uh, wants that money, JG. No one wants giant money. That's- Somebody has to. If they they that check, they have had check after check to keep burning because people keep turning it out. At some point, someone is going to be like, you know what? Yeah, I'll take the money. And it's not a bad deal for a pitcher in that ballpark. That's not a great hitter's ballpark. So for pitching wise, I, I, it makes a, it makes some more it makes more sense than going to the Angels for Snell. And that's the other team that's linked to them. So I would rather go to I would rather go to San Francisco, where I may have a chance to compete for the division. Where instead of I go to the Angels, I have no chance to compete for a division. JG, according to John Heyman, he says that if Snell goes to the Giants, the Giants would have the best one-two pitching punch in Major League Baseball next season. Oh, I can tell by your face you may not necessarily agree <laughs> with that. What are your thoughts about that comment? They they would have a very competitive one two punch and, and nothing against you know uh, uh, Logan Webb Logan Webb he was really good he's been really good for quite a while and you throw in a Cy Young winner in that combination uh, in that combination absolutely you have a competitive one two pitching staff but there are better you know you do have better uh, one two uh, top of the rotation guys that are that are out there you have. Uh, you know, again, we've seen a lot of talk about the Phillies with Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler being the one-two combination. You got to throw in, uh, as of right now, you got to throw in Bueller and and uh, Yamamoto, Bueller or Glass now being up there. I know we haven't seen them as a combination yet. We will hear in a few more months. Uh, there, there, there are better combinations. I think at the moment, are they competitive to be a up there in the top five? I would say top five for sure, possibly top three. Uh, and I'm not, and, I, and I'm purposely excluding my Atlanta Braves with Max Fried and Spencer Strider uh, as a combination. But I mean, so it, would they be a top five one-two punch? Absolutely. Are they going to be the best? 
I, I wouldn't go saying that the, the number one up there could they compare the, you know, I said at top five, yes, potentially top three. I, I'd say maybe. So, JG, Fangraphs just released a statistic yesterday. And according to them, they have ranked as things stand today. So, obviously, Snell hasn't signed. Montgomery hasn't signed. Cease is still a White Sox. These things could all change the next few months. But as of today, they have ranked the top 13 pitching staffs in Major League Baseball. The top 10 are as follows, going 10 to 1. Brewers, Twins, Astros, Mariners, Blue Jays, Reds. Marlins are four, Dodgers are three, Phillies are two, Braves are one. Just outside of the top 10 at 11, 12, and 13, according to Fangraphs, is the Tigers, the Cardinals, and the Yankees. Taking a look at their top 10, any issues with their top 10 pitching staffs as they're currently comprised if the season started tomorrow? Yeah, there's a few of them on there that I actually am sitting and scratching my head on. Brewers being a top 10 even right now, is they don't have Brandon Woodruff. They're probably not going to have Corbin Burns. How you know with, with Burns being their only one really that's legitimate starter, how do we sit there and say that there's still a top 10 pitching staff? That one's a little bit perplexing to me. Um, Toronto Blue Jays being six, we, I, I've, I've talked with you guys. I've talked with people that, that that's been a very much maligned pitching staff in 2023. And that was what kind of held them back from being more competitive in the American League East was their pitch. They had the offense to compete with the with the Orioles. Their pitching staff was the one that let them down. So how do we sit there and say they're a, a six? And, and you can you can nitpick if you want to certain levels of this of this uh, of this list. I, Minnesota, I know Sonny Gray's no longer there, but Minnesota still had a pretty good pitching staff. I think they would be a little bit higher. Houston, they had an up-and-down pitching staff this year, but there's still really good pitchers on that one. I'd move them up a little bit higher. If you want to talk about as far as what the potential be for 2024, the, the Detroit Tigers made some good moves with their pitchers. I'd actually put them in the top 10 right now. I think that Detroit is surprisingly what they did in 2023. They're setting themselves up to be a a, a, a sleeper team in, in 2024. So, you know, I'll put the Tigers up there a little bit more, maybe bottom half of the top 10. Um, I, I like that the, the top five, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not mad about the top five Braves and Phillies, Dodgers, one, two, three. I think that's pretty much correct. I think at this point you probably put the Dodgers ahead of the Phillies with just potential, what you have with Yamamoto and glass. Now you get Walker Bueller back. Uh, so those three are going to be a lot better than what they had in 2023 for the Dodgers. Uh, Marlins, I actually would flip-flop the Marlins and Reds. I put the Mar Reds ahead of the Marlins uh, just because we know uh, Alcantara has been hurt and he's going to be hurt again um, in, in, in 2020. Uh, he's going to be missing some time in 2024. So that's going to hurt that pitching staff a little bit more. But, uh, you know, it, like I said, you can nitpick a little bit more, but I think as far as Blue Jays being as high as they are, the Astros and Twins being lower than what they are, and the Brewers even being a top 10 pitching staff is is something that I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head on. JG, baseball has changed so much in the last decade, the last 11 years. If you look at the league 11, 12 years ago, there were zero players in baseball that had $300 million contracts. If you look at the league today, there are 14 players in baseball with $300 million plus contracts. Some of those, we've already talked about it here on the morning show, 
are absolutely terrible contracts. They were terrible when they were offered. They were terrible when they signed. And nothing has really changed to turn them into good contracts. Right now, I'm going to run down all 14 players who have those big contracts. And I want to hear your insight of what is going to be the best of those 14 deals when they're all said and done. Who, or maybe there's more than one that you think is going to come out and you're going to be like, these are going to come out and these are probably going to be looked at as pretty good deals. Whereas the rest of them are probably already dumpster fires or are going to potentially be dumpster fires. So the 14 players right now in Major League Baseball with $300 million plus contracts are Giancarlo Stanton for the New York Yankees, Mike Trout for the Angels. We have Trey Turner, who I didn't even know that, for the Philadelphia Phillies. Good for him. Uh, Francisco Lindor for the New York Mets, Garrett Cole for the New York Yankees, uh, Yamamoto, who just signed his deal for the Dodgers. We have Devers for the Boston Red Sox, who recently signed his deal, Machado with the Padres, Aaron Judge with the New York Yankees, Corey Seager with the Texas Rangers, who's coming off of a really nice season, Bryce Harper for the Philadelphia Phillies, Mookie Betts for the Dodgers, Fernando Tatis Jr. for the Padres. And, of course, the man himself, Shohei Otani, for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, 14. Let's let's start by paring the list down. Which of those are absolutely terrible? Well, you know one of them is, has been biting your Yankees for a while, and that's Giancarlo Stanton. And, yep. and he, he had – and there were some good, some good seasons when he was still in Miami after signing that deal. And when he went to the Yankees, it's been up and down with a lot more downs in recent times. Uh, for for them, just couldn't stay. He's not able to stay healthy. He's not being the hitter that they thought. He's got to be a full time DH basically at this point of his career, and he still can't stay healthy d- d- despite that part of it. Uh, I think as well, you know that that would be one. I would say at this point, actually, I think Mike Trout with the Angels. If I had to surprise some people, I think Mike Trout. I think they, that kind of contract is you know, it's not that he's not earning it and he's not worth it. But the Angels have not gotten anything out of it based off of having the, a generational player, talented as Mike Trout is. He's missed a lot of time with injuries, and they have not made the playoffs except for one instance with uh, with Trout on uh, on the team. So that's something that I think that the Angels are probably looking back and saying that you know they're 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 going to be regretting it more because they're trying to figure out is there any way to trade Mike Trout? We're talking about that. Is that a possibility in the future? And that contract is going to be very difficult to trade when it gets to the point where they're going to say, yes, we have to try to make a trade with Mike Trout. Um, I, I, I have to look back and, and say that, I, I, you know, it's too early to tell about Yamamoto uh, just because we don't know what he's going to be like in, in the big leagues right now. So I think we have to put a pause on saying Yamamoto uh, for for that. Um I think Machado, if I have to go to Manny Machado being part of that uh, list as, t- as far as teams kind of, you know, dreading it. I know that the Padres having uh, him and they haven't, they've had one season with Machado being a, a, on the, on the roster with the moves they've made on top of it to be a contender. And they had a huge letdown of a year in 2023. So at some point they're kind of, they're looking at it, trying to find ways. How do we cut payroll? Well, that's obviously you can't cut payroll with Machado's contracts. A lot of teams are not definitely not going to want him in that contract itself. They'll want the talent, but that contract's going to be very difficult to move when they used to start uh, work, working more on how to cut back on their side. So I think the, the Padres with Machado is one. And you look at it and say, I mean, they've had to throw another one, Tatis, Fernando Tatis Jr., being suspended 80 games. He's had three surgeries in the time frame of, of since signing that contract. 
and having to move him from uh, shortstop because they signed Alexander Bogarts, who was just short of making this list, uh, and having to move him out to right field. And he's not – and for me, I've never been high on Fernando Tatis Jr. I, I, I'm not going to say he's overrated, but he's not in the – to me, I've not seen him do elite-level things. Everyone on this list has had moments of elite-level play where you can say your MVP caliber seasons, MVP caliber – uh, 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 talent for me personally, in my evaluation of talent, I haven't seen that out of him. So, the fact that he got this contract from the Padres, bravo to the agent for Tatis, but that's one probably the top level. And I'm shocked they have him at number two on this list uh, of like, I guess this is supposed to be the top level players of 300 million, and they have him at number two ahead of Mookie Betts, ahead of Bryce Harper, ahead of Corey Seager, Aaron Judd. I mean. That's that's shocking to me, but that, that would be the biggest one that I'm sitting back on the Padres, and I'm I'm sitting back and then yeah, we regret this because we haven't gotten the level play that I think we're supposed. And he's been more of a headache with certain things off the field, with the surgeries, with the wrist injuries that he's had, the the wrecks that he had on, in a vehicle that caused one of the uh, wrist injuries, and then on top of that, the suspension as well. And then obviously Yamamoto and Otani, unknowns. Because we need to see if Otani is going to pitch. That's going to be a big determining factor into what, whether his contract was actually worth it or not. When you look at someone like Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper, uh, Garrett Cole, Lindor, and Turner, of those deals, who do you think has which team has gotten the best bang for their buck? Because those are guys who have been in the league for a minute. They've had they've put together a resume. They've been with their teams here. Some teams have won championships. Some teams haven't won championships. But these players, generally speaking, have had success individually. So of those five, which of those contracts, if you had to do it all over again, but you could only give the money to one of them, which of those five would you give it to? Who is the five you listed again? Betts, Harper, Cole, Lindor, Turner. Absolutely not, Lindor. Lindor, I, he's lucky I didn't actually add him on the list of teams that are going to dread that one because it, we're, we're, again, talking about cutting payroll. That's what the Mets are looking at. And, again, they're not going to be able to find a way to get rid of Lindor's contract anytime soon. I would have to say because of what he has done in, in changing – and I'm sure Gene will actually uh, uh, um, agree to an extent that I – and. I hate having to praise the Philadelphia Philly in, in this situation, but for what Harper has done and and changing uh, the culture of Philadelphia Phillies baseball for what it was for a while, and, and, and I know they had a World Series win in 2000, uh, I believe it was in 2008, uh, and, and they had a period where they kind of fallen back off on hard times again, and they go and they start spending money and they start bringing it. They brought in Bryce Harper, and he brought in this this identity that is kind of reminded of what Philadelphia culture is. And it's just this no-nonsense, hard-nosed, grinded-out type of player that – and maturity. And I, I, I was one of the biggest critics of Bryce Harper when he became – when he got into the league with the Nationals, the immaturity side of it, and I've, I've watched from afar. And I, I've actually appraised Bryce for, for growing up a lot over the last few years, especially since he got this big contract to Philadelphia. And he's just this been this he's been a Braves killer. And I, that's one thing I don't I hate about him, but I, I love the player he's become. And I think 
how he is shaped and, and what they're doing in Philadelphia because of him, I think that is probably the biggest one you can circle for the on this list, saying that they absolutely love Bryce Harper. They love what he's done. They love the play on the field. But more importantly, they love how he's embraced Philadelphia. He's embraced the, the culture of Philadelphia, and he's embraced being a Philadelphia Philly. So that's when I would sit back and look at and say, hey, they're – there, there's no buyer's remorse for Bryce Harper for what he's done. I know, yeah, Mookie Betts, you know, uh, Mookie Betts won a title, I believe, with LA in the 2020 bubble uh, and everything. So I know he's going to be, and you can say Corey Seager with what he's done in Texas right now, but for the grand scheme and, and for what the, he's done overall to a franchise, you know, for a franchise that has not had a lot of success. And, and I know me and Gene went back and forth uh, during the baseball season about that for a franchise who has had, you know, mediocrity a lot more than success in the last 30 years for someone who's completely changed the culture and perception. That is what Bryce Harper's done. So I would say Bryce Harper on this list is probably one of the top $300 million players just because of the overall aspect of what he's brought. JG, before we get you out of here, we're going to transition a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk a little NCAA and Mo, I want to start with you. So we knew going into the college football playoff after what we saw happen with FSU. We knew that there was going to be some sort of a blowback. We knew that, you know, there was a possibility that a lot of FSU players weren't going to play in that game, which is what happened, which by the way, in all fairness, there were a lot of Georgia players who also did not play in that game. The difference being, it was the back-end Georgia players mostly who did not play, whereas for FSU, it was basically the team that got them to the number five ranking in the nation, they're most of the players that didn't play. And that's why you saw the result in that college football game that you saw. But when the game is over and you have the head coach for Georgia sitting at the podium saying, listen, this is an issue. This needs to be fixed. This can't happen. This isn't fair. I understand that my team just won by a lot, but they're broken. And what he's referring to, Mo, is he's referring to the fact that the transfer portal opens up during the season. So a bunch of guys before the season is over, they're already jumping into the transfer portal, which means they're not playing in bowl games. So now you have all these prestigious bowl games that aren't related to the national championship that people, companies and businesses pay a lot of money to sponsor that you have players who are like, I'm not competing for a national championship. I'm not even going to be at the school next year. I'm out of here real quick. And then you also have the tired and true conversation of NIL. And we're going to get to, we're going to get to JG in a moment because a lot of this is going to come back to who's actually in charge. Who's actually running things? Because Mo, I think you could make an argument if things were being ran a little better and if there was a little more structure, then maybe these things wouldn't be viewed so negatively. But, Mo, when you're looking at, as we, we, we push forward to a college football champion this season, whether it's Washington or it's Michigan, and you're looking at the season as a whole, and you're looking at some of the flaws that are currently facing college football, what, in your opinion, is the current state of college football? Is it as bad as people are making it out? Because it wasn't that long ago that the old-timers were like, stop moving teams around. NIL is going to destroy the sport. Yeah. The transfer portal is fine. And then, you know, you got people who are like, no, we, we love the transfer portal. Look what, look what coach prime is doing. The transfer portal is a great, 
stop telling people to get off your lawn. We're fine right now. But right. now it looks like everyone has kind of come together and been like, well, wait a minute. Maybe there is a bigger issue than we first thought there was. So it's going many different directions, Mo. What say you? Is it an issue in college football? Is Are there issues? Or is everyone just kind of a prisoner of the moment and they're making a bigger issue out of it than it actually is? I think there always has been issues in college football. And the NCAA, the way they run things, they kind of they're kind of at the helm of all the issues, how they handle things. And it's funny because NIL was a thing, and they were like, okay, let's let's make that thing. It's okay, it's fine. And now it seems like there's been a 360, and they're like, what are we gonna do about NIL? Uh what these guys are because now these guys are making all this money, and uh, you know. Some of these, I would think that the NCAA would love the fact that a lot of these guys that are making money, instead of they're not one and done now. Some of these guys are staying like, I can stay for a couple of years and make more money than I would on a rookie deal in the NFL. Uh, look, I think there's always been problems. But what the NCAA does well, or what college football has done well at, they've made money. And they've made money. And because they've made money, they tend to look the other way because you're making money. Uh, but hand over fist, they're making money. I, I actually have no problem with the consolidation of some of the conferences. I like that. I think it's going to be more entertaining. It's going to be more competitive. I, I don't know that everybody, uh, the powers that be, see it that way. But but as a fan, I think the consolidation of that is it, it, you're going to get a better product, uh, bigger picture. I have no problem with the players from Florida State. They don't owe anybody anything. Um, if they want to, they can very much say, like, I don't want to play. Uh, you know, transfer report. They're they're well with their their rights. They, they did nothing wrong. I have no problem with that. The NCAA, if they want if they want things to, to get better or be better or work more smoothly, they need to clean up their own act first. JG, there's so many layers to tackle this from. So let's let's start with NIL. So Mo brings up a really great point. You have players in college right now. Let's take uh, young Arch Manning, for example. Some rumors have come out about what he is making, not as a starting quarterback in college football, as a backup quarterback who mm -hmm. is probably going to be on a new team next season. He's making a few million dollars in NIL money. You're talking about other quarterbacks who are starting quarterbacks who are having conversations with their people of, should I just come back to college for another year, try to win a natty and also make four or five million dollars in the process? And I because if I go to the NFL, I'm gonna make what 1.2, dollars Like that, I mean, that's where I'm gonna be. And if I stay in college, I'm literally I literally run the campus. I am a king on this campus. No one's going to really criticize me. That's what happens in the NFL if you you get all the hype going in, but if you don't, you're not playing well, now you're not the guy. Now you're a bust. You were drafted too high. I can put all that off for a year, make a bunch of money, and then next year I can go do the NFL thing. And if you're a school, like Mo said, isn't that a good thing for the school? Don't you want your players staying in the school longer, your star players? Let's start there. I'm going to sound like a grumpy old head in this situation, being a former NC, being a former NCA athlete. Uh, you know, so uh, and y'all know my disdain for the NCA. So for NIL, what's the difference? Let me, let me see if I can rephrase this. 
what's the difference in a player making money compared to if you go and I remember they did this years ago. They actually did this uh, before NIL became a thing. It was such much talk, talk about it. And I, I can't remember who it was. There was one ESPN or a Fox Sports uh, analyst. I think it was ESPN. He actually went on. He, he, they showed it on the t- on the screen, and they went to the NCAA website, and you can purchase a jersey of a player of Michigan or LSU or Texas. I think it was a Tebow jersey, and I or no, it was a it was a basketball. It was Bill Walton, actually, if I remember correctly. Bill Walton actually was talking about this for basketball, and you can go and play uh, and type it in a player's name, uh, a player's name. Get on the jersey, but it doesn't have the name on the back of the jersey. It just has a jersey. That player never got that money for it. It was the NCAA who got that. The NCAA is the biggest pimps in all of uh, of, of North America, and you can and really talk about as far as in, in the world, just based off of how they how they've ran for so many years. The and why do you think the uh, the NCAA football video game went away for so long? Because of the uh, of the lack of revenue that was being shared for name, image, and likeness of it, and now they're bringing it back and they're figuring out the the. I don't feel sorry for the NCA that the politicians, as much as I don't want politicians to get in sports, they've made the NCA have to pay athletes, find a way to pay them. The problem was, and I said this with you guys, the problem was is they never put a system together that made sense. Now you have it's the wild, wild west where boosters are the ones who are coming up and paying athletes. I came up with I said this to you guys on one of the shows. Let them just go get endorsements themselves. You know, make like don't let boosters like if, if a booster pays an athlete, that's illegal. That's how it should be. That's how it has been for so long. Isn't that why Reggie Bush got his uh, his Heisman taken away? Right. Is because a booster in the of the USC and 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 uh, you know gave his mom a house, and the and USC turned a blind eye saying, "Well, hey, we'll we'll you know we'll handle that later on after whatnot." Is but we're letting boosters now pay these at That's why A and M almost paid a what is it? A&M, didn't A and M almost pay a hundred million dollars to 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 one of the recruiting classes in twenty twenty two? Hundred million dollars. Let them go get endorsements. Let them go get Gatorade. Let them go get Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Let them go get you know their their is that's the, the model. I put it this way: the model of what the Olympians have to do should be the ideal model of what college athletes should do. Olympians don't get paid to compete at the Olympics. They get paid by the endorsements that help them that help sponsor them to get to the Olympics. Why is that not a, a, a why should that not be the model that college athletes they get paid, but it's a it's a controlled revenue stream. That's the ideal situation for college athletes, a controlled revenue stream. We had Marvin Harris Marvin Harrison Jr. was offered $20 million to stay at Ohio State. I actually went and talked to one of my buddies about this back in Louisiana. That's equivalent to Tyreek Hill money. Is Marvin Harrison better than Tyreek Hill? Can I ask you guys that? Are we going to sit here and say that Marvin Harrison right now as a junior in college is better than Tyreek Hill? That's what they're saying, though. That's what they're they're saying. that's, That's what they're saying he is valued, is that he is equal to Tyreek Hill. Is who is arguably one of the best receivers in the NFL. That's absurd. That's absolutely 100% absurd. The same thing about Arch Manning. Arch Manning is not worth $5 million based off of his talent currently right now at the end of his freshman year in college. 
Now, he's worth $5 million by his name, that 100%, because of the name Manning. Okay, if that's the case, let him go get endorsements. Let him go get uh, you know the sponsors and whatnot based off of his name. But boosters should not be the ones paying him. That's one thing I will say about LSU. LSU's NIL program, and I've been kind of talking a little bit more about people with this. They have a booster who does fund a lot of the money for LSU athletes, but it's an endorsement deal. That he is paying them. They have to do something for him to make sure that they get paid in that process. Perfect. They're not just throwing money at those kids. Now, there's some that I will say they are. There are some that they are doing that. But they're you know, they're going to go and do a, a photo shoot with Raising Canes in Baton Rouge. They're going to go do a photo shoot with one of the local lawyers and attorneys in, in Baton Rouge. Fine. They're not just throwing money at them. Let them do that way. Let them let them earn it by you know by a sponsorship or an endorsement. But this this whole wild wild west of money just being thrown, millions of dollars being thrown by boosters. Which go back and look at, for the NCA make it illegal again. You have that authority to just say you know what we're going to write down bylaws and guidelines for NIL. But they don't. But the NCA. This is where I laugh at the NCA is they don't have the backbone to do it anymore. And I think I think that is the biggest part of it. And a lot of this conversation is going to center around the NCAA's either unwillingness or inability to properly supervise this entire process. And gentlemen, there is so much more to get into with this particular conversation, but we are going to put a pin into that until we have JG on the show again, because we are running up against time this morning. So JG, we appreciate having you on the show, sir, and we will see you next week. As always, guys, appreciate it. Well, before we bring Freddie on here, one thing I wanted to, to discuss with you, and we talked about this a little bit in our group chat last night, there is a D2, a Division II women's college basketball program. They are the College of Biblical Studies, oh, and they God. played <laughs> against a D1 women's college basketball program in Grambling University, and they lost 159-18, to 18, setting a new record for the largest margin of victory in Division I athletics. Mo. I may be in the minority here, and I didn't talk to you about how you feel about this, but I have zero issue with that score. When you take a Division II school whose the university's focus is clearly not athletics, but the female athletes or the male athletes or whoever it is clearly wanted to have an athletics program, and they clearly wanted the opportunity to play athletics, and you are giving them an opportunity to do that, when they go against talent – that is superior than them. And by the way, most schools probably will be. I don't know how many great athletes the College of Biblical Science is getting. I, I would guess it's probably not a ton. No offense. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm just saying. And Mo, they play, and you may not know this, they play in the Division II National Christian College Athletic Association. I don't know how many superstars are coming out of that association, but I would bet it's not many. So I bet you that this school is probably pretty decent in their conference. And I'm willing to bet that when these schools play outside their conference, it's probably similar to this. And I'm okay sure. with that, Mo. Where do you fall? No, I'm totally fine with it. Look, you're what they're doing is they want an opportunity to play the best competition. So when you step up, 
when you go out there and you deal with a D1 school, you're going to have D1 problems. Right. Um, and, and you know what I mean? And, and like you said, like you said, I don't know how many future WNBA players or NBA players or football players are at these schools. Uh, and, and I'm not going to say there aren't any, but I think if you were going to put a percentage on it, it's probably low. Um, they're not getting the top end athletes. And, and and if I'm offending anybody out there at those schools, I totally apologize. But I'm going to assume you guys aren't getting a lot of NIL money. Correct. And I, I think it's just a situation of they want athletic programs. So they're giving them athletic programs. And that's great. I'm all for that. But, you know, when you take a school that doesn't have a lot of great athletes and you put them up against a school that's getting some of the best college athletes in that sport which d1 schools get this is this is where we're going to end up and it just is what it is i wouldn't want to be in that situation i wouldn't want to play or coach in that situation but it is what it is mo and you know what uh good or bad i guess you are in the history books now so there's that there is that all right at this time let's welcome to the show freddie freddie has a new show coming up here on the network it's called the freddie get right show and we are happy to have Freddie on with us this morning. Freddie, how are you, sir? What's going on, gentlemen? How are you guys doing tonight? This what it's morning. It's morning time, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. All right, guys. Let's start with this. James Harden was talking yesterday, and he was talking about winning an NBA championship and how that is his primary focus. And Mo, I want to start with you. What does winning a championship do for James Harden? Aside from taking him off the list of best NBA players to never win a title. Because obviously if you're putting together that list right now, James Harden's name is probably going to pop up on that list. But let's say he wins one, whether it be with the Clippers or he ends up on his 18th team and he wins one over there as a, a bench player or whatever. Let's say he walks away with a title. Is one time NBA champion James Harden a difference maker when you're talking about the overall success of his career, in your opinion? I don't know if it changes the complete narrative, but if he can win a title while he's still an impactful player, even if it's in a, in a lesser role on the Clippers, because obviously Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are the number one and two options. But if he can be a factor, a difference maker on a championship winning team, I do, I do think it impacts his career um, the same way it would have impacted Allen Iverson's career. Patrick Ewing's career and, and so on and so on. Uh, it do, it does change that when you talk about James Harden. It would be different if James Harden somehow won a title, but he was on the bench and he he didn't really do anything. He was just officially part of the roster. If he actually impacts the game and helps them win a title, I think it does factor in and and kind of eases the narrative on his overall career because obviously his playoff history is he's flawed. He's come up short. He's not a winner here's a chance for James Harden to kind of change that narrative to a degree. And look, Dwight Howard did this a couple of years back with the Lakers as a role player, but he was an impactful role player. And it, it, it did, it did bolster up his overall resume. So I do think it can help James Harden. Um, now, if you get into those other conversations about best two guards ever and things of that nature, I don't think it's going to change his stature in that conversation. Freddie, when it comes to an NBA player winning a championship, there's usually three tiers you can kind of classify the player as. They can be the star or one of the stars of the team that the team was built around to win the title. They can be a starter 
on that team, which is where James Harden is right now. Kind of, he's kind of in that starter role, but he's not really a star, a star necessarily for the Clippers or they're a role player kind of bench guy. They were brought in to play some valuable minutes. Yes, they were important, but they weren't the foundation of that team with James Harden being kind of falling off that first tier into that second tier with the Clippers. A championship is a championship. You can't take that away from the man. If he wins a title with the Clippers, he is an NBA champion. Legacy-wise, what does it do for his legacy? It does absolutely nothing. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's sit up here. Let's go over the stats, you guys. He's averaging 17 points a game, four rebounds, and eight assists. I mean, if this was the same guy that was giving us crazy triple-doubles, giving you 35, 10 assists, 10 rebounds when he was going on a crazy streak, you know, back in the Houston days, then okay, it's we, hey, that would be a huge impact. I mean, he's not even the third most impactful. He's like he's third in most impact. He's the fourth impactful player on the Clippers team right now. He he don't bring the impact that even Russell Westbrook bring on this team. If we're being honest, I mean, if we, I, I don't know if you guys seen any Clipper games this year, but the games that I've watched. Russell Westbrook is more impactful than James Harden. And what I mean by that, Russ is taking less shots. He's being more efficient. He's playing the best defense of his career, um, that he that of his whole career. I mean, you know, he's doing the dirty things that those superstars like Kawhi Leonard, like Paul George, like James Harden is not doing. He's doing those things. He's bringing more impact to the Clippers on winning. Uh, James Harden. He's going to be thought about like this, Chris. Oh, he's a guy that went team for team, team to team, never was happy, disgruntled. Uh, you know, he whined. He was out of shape. He did these things to get out of situations, to go to places where he wanted to play until he, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't out, out welcome his welcome. Um, you know, that's that's how we're going to remember James Harden. You're not going to remember him like a Dwayne Wade. You're not going to remember him like a Kobe Bryant. Definitely not Michael Jordan. Heck, I don't even think we're going to remember this guy like Allen Iverson, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest with you. One thing we can say about Allen Iverson is that he did take a bad team um, to the finals. That's one thing that we can say. Um, you know, I mean, hey, once upon a time, one of the greatest scorers in the game, but, hey, he powed it. He was unhappy, um, but a championship don't change anything from you being the fourth most impactful player on your team. You really yeah. think he's the fourth most impactful player? Yes, like I'm they, not. Russ isn't on the bench by accident. He's on the bench because Harden is a better point guard than he is. That's that that that's not in debate. He's a better point guard, and and Russ is turning the ball over less because he's playing about twenty minutes a game. James Harden is, is a better player right now. So whatever would you think about the breadth of their careers, but right now, today, James Harden is a better player than Russell Westbrook. I agree. He's a better player. But when I'm talking, I'm talking about impact. See, I'm not he's talking point, about – He's a starting point guard, Freddie. He, so he, he, he's impacted again. The man's averaging – think about this. If you take away the name James Harden and you said Will Smith – and he's averaging 17 points and eight assists. You'd be like, Will Smith is nice. But because it's James Harden, there's this like taboo notion that, well, it's just James Harden. So you set this new standard. If he's not averaging 30 and 10 and 10, he's not doing as well. This isn't James Harden from Houston. But I, I will say this. If you were into numbers, 
take James Harden, put him on the Charlotte Hornets, where they're not going to win at all, and just let him be normal James Harden, he'll give you that 30 points a game. They're not going to win anything, but he can give you 30 points a night. I, I don't think that James Harden is the fourth most impactful player in the Clippers. He's all, he's literally right behind Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. When when Kawhi Leonard was out for five games and they won four out of five, it was because James Harden took over and was the leading scorer at that time. Russ is good and he's played his part, but Russell Westbrook couldn't do that. But what I'm saying, Mo, is all about impact. I mean, I'm not talking about stats. I'm talking about strictly impact. All right, gentlemen, we got a crazy finale coming up in the NFL this weekend. Not a lot of starters are playing across the league, uh, so that's definitely going to impact some of the outcomes of this game. Hopefully, hopefully, you are not a, you're not a part of a silly fantasy football league where the championships are happening this weekend. Because if you are, you may have a lot of players who are not even playing. So hopefully you do not have a silly commissioner who is like, we'll just do the championship the last weekend of the season. Because a lot of guys are sitting out, but we're still going to pick the games. Let's start with the Steelers and the Ravens. Lamar's not playing. Uh, some other key offensive people are not going to be playing for the Ravens as they are trying to rest up for the playoffs. But the Steelers need to win this game. They are fighting for a playoff spot freddie who do you like can the steelers overcome the backups in baltimore or are they getting knocked out of the playoff hunt this weekend i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with the black and gold i'm gonna go with pittsburgh i think mike thomas he finds a way especially with baltimore not playing their their, their big guns um i'm going with pittsburgh steelers um i think i don't think the streak will, will end while tomlin had the you know had never had a losing season i believe this will be you know pittsburgh's game uh, it's, it will be a low-scoring game, in my opinion, though. I got the Steelers as well. I think Tomlin and company find a way to get this win. Um, I think we had this conversation before, Chris. If the Steelers win, do they still need some help? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think they get this win. So, um, you know, any notion or any talk about Mike Tomlin not being there, I think that the way he finishes this season out, that'll squash any of that kind of talk. Saturday, we're getting a really great game, the Texans and the Colts. Obviously, this game is going to hinge on what happens on Sunday with Jacksonville as Jacksonville controls their own destiny. They win their in. If Jacksonville loses, the winner of this game is going to win the division. Freddie, who do you like, the Colts or the Texans? I'm going to go Texans. I like Domenico Ryan. I like, you know, I believe that he'll be able to motivate his guys and, you know, let him know, say, hey, this was at stake. I'm going Texans. I'm going to go with the Texas as well. I think even though the Colts have been the better team, in my opinion, over the breadth of the season, this one game with everything on the line, I think D'Amico Ryan's going to have his guys ready. The Browns and the Bengals play this week. The Browns are already in the playoffs. Their situation is already looking good with Joe Flacco. The Bengals are still fighting to get in. There is a possibility without Joe Burrow, the Bengals are a playoff team. Freddie, do you like the Bengals or the Browns here? I'm going Browns as well. Joe Flacco, I mean, <laughs> who would ever thought they call him? I mean, my dude is me and dad throwing the football out to the kids, playing video games, and they say, hey, we need you to come play quarterback for the Cleveland, Cleveland Brown. I mean, he's looked phenomenal. Um, you know, they have weapons, the defense, you know. I'm going with the Cleveland Browns. So the, the Browns are in. They don't need this game, right? I'm wondering if Flacco's going to play that much. Um, um 
I I want to go Cleveland, but you know what? I'm gonna go with Little Joe. I think I think Mini Joe finds the way to get the win because they need it. The Buccaneers and the Panthers. If the Buccaneers beat the Panthers, they win the division, and Baker is back in the playoffs. Baker train. If they lose to the Panthers, they can still make the playoffs if some other things happen. Freddie, do you like the Buccaneers to just get it done against the Panthers? Yeah, I'm going Buccaneers. Um, Panthers. Hey, Bryce Young, young up and coming quarterback, and still need a lot of weapons. Still need a lot of help on the on the uh, offensive line and all that good stuff. So I'm I'm definitely going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going with the Baker train as well. Um, look, stranger things have happened in the NFL this season, but I'm I think the Bucks are they they want it, they need it, and right now the Panthers are the gift that keeps on giving. So I'm going with the Bucks as well. The Falcons and the Saints play each other. The Falcons can still win their division. They need to win this game, and they need the Buccaneers to lose, and that is a route to the division for the Falcons. The Saints can still make a wild card if some things happen. They can obviously still win the division too. So the Saints have a couple of different paths, but it's going to start here with beating the Falcons. Freddie, who do you like, Falcons or Saints? Uh, I'm going to go with the Saints. Um I mean, the, good God, that's a horrible division just talking about these last two games. Um, going with the Saints, yeah, they're just a better team. I'm going with the Saints as well. I think Carl have a good game. The defense will step up. I think they find a way to get a win. If the Jaguars beat the Titans, they are in. They clinch the division. Freddie, do you like the Jaguars, or will the Titans upset it and give the division to the winner of the Colts and the Texans game? I'm going with the upset. I'm going with the oh. Tennessee Titans. Oh. Going with the upset. You know hey. what? You know what? I've been one of those people. I've never been crazy about Jacksonville. Nope. And I, I, I acknowledge Sunshine's talent, but I'm not big on him. You know what? For all the reasons, I actually think Freddie's right. I'm going to go with the Titans, too. I just feel like the Titans are going to find a way. The Bears and the Packers play each other. The Bears are saying there's nothing to do in Green Bay besides watch football. That's why you all love football so much. <laughs> Both of these teams are still eligible for the playoffs. If the Packers win, they are in. If the Bears win, they're going to need some help. Freddie, you like the Bears or the Packers? I'm going to go with the Packers. I'm going to go with the Packers. Um, hey, we all know the, the heat, the criticism that Jordan Love got for the last couple of years. Um, he had a he had a decent, you know, good year. Not a great, but decent, you know, first year, you know, starting quarterback. Um, the defense legit. They have a run game. I'm gonna go with the um Packers on this one. I'm gonna go with the Bears, division rivals. I know they might need some help, but if I'm the Bears, just the, the ability to knock the Packers out of the playoffs, that makes my season. So I'm going with the Bears. Can I ask a question on that, Chris? To Mo. So Mo, if if Justin Field leads that team to the playoffs. Does that mean they still going to draft a quarterback, or how does that impact that decision? Well, they might still draft a quarterback no matter what, because thanks to Carolina, they're going to have that pick. If I, I, if you're asking me what I would do, I would keep Justin Fields and, and use that pick to build out the rest of the roster. That's what I would do. Gentlemen, then, of course, we have a conversation that I didn't think we were going to have about a month ago. That is the Cowboys and the Commanders, the Eagles and the Giants. The NFC East is playing each other to close out the season. If the Dallas Cowboys knock off the Commanders, they win the NFC East. If the Cowboys lose and the Eagles beat the Giants, the Eagles will win the NFC East, which we thought was probably a foregone conclusion about a month ago. 
Friday, does Dallas just get the job done against Washington and lock up the NFC East? These is what, you know, hey, we all know individual teams, they battle. No matter how good, how bad you are. You know, Washington can be the worst team in the division, but when they play against the Cowboys, they play against the Eagles, it's going to be a competitive game. I'm going to pick the Commanders. I really, really am. I think the Cowboys will find a way to lose. And we, we all see the recipe of how to beat the Cowboys. Have a good run game and have a, de- a good defense. Um, and I believe the Commanders can run the football and they're going to run on the Cowboys. I believe this will be the game that they, 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 will, they will lose, that they should have won. I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Um I think with the commanders, they have a turnover issue. And I think the Cowboys will be able to turn them over a couple times and get the win. Um, I'm more concerned about the next game. Eagles and the Giants, if the well, the Eagles, it all depends on what the Cowboys do. If the Cowboys lose, the Eagles have a chance to take the division. So, Freddie, real quick, we got about 60 seconds here. You like the Eagles, you like the Giants. I got the Eagles winning, but wouldn't it be surprised me and my Giants win i mean when he posed to lose they they yeah i'm going with the i'm going with the eagles i'm going with the eagles as well i think it's going to be a lot closer but i think the eagles find a way to get the win all right gentlemen so so much happening in week 18 of the, of the nfl so much unknown so many playoff spots are still available freddie we appreciate you jumping on this morning sir have a good appreciate one you. yes sir y'all have a good one all right, Mo, before we get out of here today, we got a big show coming up tomorrow. We are going to be wrapping up the week with our award show here on right. Coffee and Sports, the morning show. So make sure you – that's why we did our picks today. Picks were a day early because we got big things happening tomorrow with the end-of-the-year awards. Uh, Mo, great show this morning, sir. Close us out. Appreciate everybody up in the chat. Thanks for all the support. Check out all the great content we have to offer to you on Sports Empire Network. Check out the Empire. Shout out to JG and Freddie for joining us this morning. Make sure you're here same time, same place tomorrow morning for our year-end awards here on Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, I'm ready. I've often said that... People who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm not Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, isn't he?